0: Okay, so hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Regal Podcast. I am Jordan Lewis, and today I am joined by Valerie. So, first of all, Valerie, welcome to the podcast, and would you thank like you to give a quick much. introduction to who you are and what you do?
1: Okay, thank you very much. My name is Valerie Effick. I am Nigerian, based here in Nigeria as well. We I co own a luxury brand called Efikland Solutions Limited. We are a solutions providing company offering business aviation services, real estate services, um, travels uh, services, as well as heavy duty equipment procurement for high end clients and companies here in Nigeria.
0: Fantastic. It's definitely an interesting industry as as I've kind of, like Mm -hmm. we've talked about before, I'm a luxury marketer. This is definitely a very interesting industry to be in. So without further ado, let's get Mm -hmm. straight into the questions. First up, obviously you work in the travel sector and with COVID-19 and lockdown, I would assume that you've seen a massive hit in sales and growth, or at least a bigger challenge that's kind of imposed to you and your business. Mm -hmm. My question is, how have you managed to basically grow and get sales during this time? And now that we are gradually coming out of lockdown, what are your plans to recover and hit the ground running, so to speak?
1: Okay. uh, I would say that um, the business aviation sector actually gained Mm -hmm. from the COVID. So, you know, Making since it, traveling became very challenging and sharing flights became a no-no for everybody. So people now started tilting from doing the commercial travels to um, flying privately, to doing um, seat sharing on jets. So I would say it, it was good for us. The COVID was good, for, good, good to us. And um, I think that for... Uh, your question for uh, on how we are going to bounce back after the pandemic. We have um, put together different models of services to offer to clients who would be traveling after the COVID. One of which is seat sharing, which we used to do before the COVID, but now we're coming back stronger and better to offer that service. And another thing is we want to do, the, we want to make the, uh, private charters more affordable by working with different companies from all over the world. So different people who own planes can have started listing with our company to offer the service as well. And we're also looking at um, doing the, uh, using the smaller jets, propeller jets to do across city travels as well. So which would also help people who cannot afford or see the, the big charters like a big deal. They can also run smaller charters as well. Yeah, so that's about how we are planning to bounce back after the pandemic.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So we've kind of talked about how you as a business is going to bounce back and how you've maybe had to change during the pandemic. Now I'm curious, have you had to make any changes to your personal life, whether it be within you as a person in your business or just in your personal life generally because of the pandemic? Have you had to learn mm-hmm. new skills? Have you had to try and master new technologies? You know, what has what it meant for you?
1: Yes, um, during the pandemic, I would say... Um, it has really opened my eyes to a lot of things as a personal, as a person, and as a business person. Because um, before it struck, I was in the US trying to close out a deal where a company had to buy a plane for um, somebody here in Nigeria. So I got stuck with a family I do not really know and in an environment where I had nobody. But I said to myself, I cannot be in this kind of environment despite the whole thing that is going on and not make uh, good use of the opportunity. So this was what birthed our partnership with other uh, companies in the US. So while waiting for you know, the, the A-ways to be clear for us to, for me to return and I and my team to return that, I had to reach out to other private jets companies in, in the US we got to set up virtual meetings and we talked and they were very interested in working with us in Nigeria so yes that's what that's that's one of the things we gained during the pandemic and yeah i also learned new skills i took some online classes i met up with some developers who would be developing our app i do not want to talk about that for now mm-hmm. till when we are you know we've, we've we've done a good amount of work before we can put it out there yeah, so I would say the pandemic was good to us as a business, as business, and also personally. I had some time to myself. I had some time with my family, and I made some good contacts as well.
0: Good. It definitely sounds like you, mm-hmm. as a person and as a business, have made the most of the pandemic, which I think is just fantastic yeah. that you're making the most mm-hmm. of the opportunities that have arisen from this awful situation. So, great job on that. Mm-hmm. Okay, next question. Thank you. So you obviously mm-hmm. sell a luxury service, service in a developing country, so Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And this means that your yeah. audience may not necessarily have access to the resources or indeed the money to pay for your services. Is this something that you've personally mm-hmm. experienced? And if so, how have you overcome this challenge?
1: Okay, uh, having tasted doing business on both, in both worlds, which is the developed country and also the developing country. I'd say we're still very much in, we're still backwards, let me use that word. Because if you're a business person offering luxury services in a developing country, it's hard for you to convince someone to give, to bring out, to cover a certain amount of money to pay for something they are ordinarily used to paying a small amount of money and they don't mind the stress. So say for instance I have uh, a jet which can take you from say Abuja to Lagos which is about an hour 45 minutes and there's a commercial as well which takes the same time about the same time and I am telling you to pay like $2,000 to $4,000 to fly privately mm-hmm. when you can pay 45,000 naira to fly the same. You know, ordinarily, it's, it's a person in a developing country who may not have access to, to you know, inflow of cash, a lot of money, would not see the need to charter private checks, but rather they would prefer to go face all the airport hassle, the, the everything that has to do with the struggles of flying commercially. They would choose that option because it's cheaper and because that's what they can afford. But in the developed world where this kind of service is, is, is it's, it's, it's uh, normal, it's not seen as luxury, it's not seen as for the high end people, you can as well you it's nothing you're just like oh it's flying privately i just like to i like my peace i like my comfort i like like to spend extra money to get the the comfort and safety Mm -hmm. you know but i would say we've done great we've we've we started by sensitizing people on the need to travel safe on the need to be time conscious on the need to you know spend more to get more value so it was challenging the first six months. And we didn't make any sales. It was like, you know what? Let's just shut down and go. Yeah. But then this is what we have to push through. If we do not do it, someone else will. So why don't we start? Yeah. So we, you know, we, we found other, other ways to make it easy, which is why we brought in the single seat sharing, which can allow you book a seat on a jet as to booking the whole jet. Yeah, so you can pay $800, $800 uh, to fly with other people so you can network and rob minds and make contacts while traveling. So that, that that was very good because people really embraced that. Mm-hmm. But coming, when the pandemic struck uh, and people were not allowed to travel in groups. We had to let that rest for a while and just focus on the main private charters, mm-hmm. which by the way, is doing good as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Good, good. So, obviously, Mm -hmm. as you said, you've kind of had to innovate, think outside of the box, to be able to sell your Mm -hmm. luxury services. Yes. Where do you kind of find your inspiration Mm -hmm. then for this innovation? Do you look to other brands doing similar things or do you kind of do your research or do you look to brands in other countries? Like, Where where are you finding your inspiration?
1: Okay. um, I've always been someone that loved the high end like right from inception. Yeah. Then I got to have the opportunity to take to work with both both um, industries, which is a commercial industry and a private industry, and I really got to know my niche that I had more to offer in business aviation than I would being a regular travel agent. So um, then I stumbled upon a website one day while researching, as I when I was working with the business aviation with, with the company as a, an employee, employee. So I got to stumble upon Victor. Victor is one of the biggest private jets charter companies in the world. Everyone knows about Victor. So I studied Victor. I studied the services. I studied the, the delivery. I studied the processes. I studied their app, how it works and everything. So that's how I got interested in, okay, if Victor can do this, then we can also start this in Africa and make it count. So that was when I decided that, okay, when I left where I was working, I would also love to go into that in partnership with my previous employer, which we are doing that as well.
0: Fantastic. Okay, well, yeah, great job. Great job. Thank you for your insight. Okay. Thank you. Next question do you think mm-hmm. that between developed countries and developing countries, there is a difference in mindset that affects your ability to mm-hmm. sell and target your customers? And also, if that pre- prevents these same people from developing as other countries have and are?
1: Yes, I, 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 want, I want to believe that mindset is everything because um, you cannot say someone who is so used to buying 10 uh, pieces of jewelry for $1,000 would see the need to buy a piece of jewelry for the same amount of money, unless the person has a mindset that this quality is quality over quantity, right? So in developing countries, people people would pay anything to make sure that they get quality service. But in, sorry, in developed countries, people will pay anything to get quality service. But in developing countries, they want to wear all the options, like, oh, how much am I earning? Um, the currency, the, what will people say? You know, there's a lot of factor that affects the way people in developing countries embrace luxury services, which has also affected us because it, it's like you starting a school and bringing in people who have different ideologies and mindsets and trying to teach them no this is how it should be done this is this is what i think would benefit you more if you do this you can gain this if you use these services you can gain this you can gain that you can gain that so it takes a process it's a, it's going to be a long process having to you know let them make them think like someone who is coming from a developed country in terms of service offering, in terms of um, the importance, in terms of uh, the what you stand to gain from, you know, indulging or using the services. So it's it's a it's a process, but we are happy to do it. We're happy to do it.
0: Mm, mm, definitely. Okay. Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. And mm-hmm. how do you think then? Yeah you can sort of, or you or your country as a whole can go about changing these mindsets so that, first of all, you can appreciate the value in a luxury service or product, and secondly, mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. the country as a whole can begin to develop with a new, much stronger, kind of growth-focused mindset?
1: Yeah, I think the first thing we need to do is policies. Governments' policies affects the way people spend money the way people make money as well. If those policies are are visited and um, they put the people first while creating new policies, then it will be easier for someone to either work and make more money or do a business and and have more income. Um, In Nigeria, if you're a business person in Nigeria, you spend more trying to build a business than you gain because you have to pay for practically everything, you have to be your own light provider. You have to provide your own water. You have to, you know, pro- provide your own logistics. Like everything, you have to even provide your own um, capital to start. Mm. So there's there's really no room for people to explore options which, you know, can help them say, okay, I've made enough money so I can spend enough. They are just making enough to survive, enough to feed. And the, the, the ones who actually make more money would rather invest outside of the country, which doesn't bring back the revenue, rather it takes it out. So it makes the money circulation a bit, a little bit minimal than it would in a developed country. Mm-hmm. So what I think would help is, you know, um, governments creating policies that would help the people of the country, as well as open doors to invite investors into the country, to invest in, you know, in, in, I think we've not really explored agriculture. We've not really explored tourism. We've not really explored, you know, enough of what would drive in a lot of revenue for people and also open up job opportunities for them to make more money to be able to spend more. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you think that when because obviously there are Mm -hmm. successful businesses in nigeria like albeit very few do you think that once these businesses have grown to a point Mm -hmm. where they have cash flow spare that they could start running grants and reward Mm -hmm. schemes for new businesses if they you know set up in nigeria start their business run their business and generate revenue for the country do you think that could work to shift that mindset and kind of encourage Mm -hmm. business growth
1: Sure, I think that would be that would work because we have a lot of um, small business owners in Nigeria who are very talented, who have the skills and know-how, who have the passion. But then we're talking about the capital. They do not have the capital to really, really invest into what they want to do. Okay, say for instance, our business, if we were to be in a developed country, we would have had people who like um, angel investors who would be willing. <clears throat> to either buy planes or um, build a terminal where, you know, we can, a terminal in a place where it's inaccessible to other, um, to other travel companies. So it would generate more income into the system because obviously flights will be going to a lot more places than it is going to now. So there's, there's a lot of business persons who I, I'm sure think like us but they're limited by either money or opportunities or, you know, investments or
0: anything. So it's that initial capital, that initial money to then sort of get the ball rolling. And then once that ball's rolling, we're going to see a lot of development. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sure. I think so. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Next question then. So you're a Christian. Am I correct with that?
1: Yes, please. Yes.
0: And you often talk about Bible verses and God's teachings through your social media, especially your Instagram. Do you feel that having this Mm -hmm. faith helps guide you in your business? And if so, how?
1: Uh, You know, when, when we talk about faith and Christianity and religion or spirituality, it's an individual race. I don't, I'm not one to impose mine on anybody. If you believe in Buddhism, um, Catholicism or whichever, perfectly fine. But for me, I would say my Christianity works for me. Uh, I can remember when we wanted to start this company. It was supposed to be um, a third clan, let's say, jet services. But then I usually like to pray about everything I do because I believe in prayers. I believe in the word of God. So when I prayed about it, God said, you are the salt of the earth. So you are brought onto this earth to give taste. You're not just supposed to give taste to one family but to the earth, to anyone who needs taste in their food or whatever. So I kind of like pondered on that word for some time. Then when I sat down with my lawyer to pick out the names for the company, that's how, you know, the name um, Effort Client Solutions Limited, you know, came to play. a uh, Client Solutions. So you can see we are the solution, offering solution to different things. So whichever, whatever high-end service somebody is looking for or products or whatever, we find it and we give the solution. So I would say, yeah, my Bible works for me. My scripture works for me. My belief in God works for me. That's why I share it. I share my faith. So whoever uh, believes in what I believe in can tap into it. But I do not have a problem with you believing otherwise or having a contrary religion or spiritual practice. Mm
0: -hmm. So it's definitely a very personal thing to you. um, And it's something that guides you. So. How do you find a balance then? So let's say you have a problem within your business. How do you find a balance between okay. wanting and feeling to pray for the answer and equally mm-hmm. taking action yourself and sort of making the solution a, like, appear yourself? How do you find that balance between the two?
1: Okay. Um, I wouldn't say that I rely on prayers and Bible all the time. Sometimes as a human being and as a business person, and uh, as one of the co-founders of the company, the, the, um, the responsibility of preferring solution lays on, your, on, your, on, your, on you. So you have to let go of everything you think, let go of all sentiments, and look at it from a critical and practical angle, which sometimes I... Talk to coaches, business coaches. I have a few of them that I talk to. I also have mentors in business, which they've been in this business aviation industry for as long as I can remember. So I have a few of them, like three of them, that are my coaches. So if I have some kind of issues, I go to them and I talk to them and take what it is. But so almost all the time, even with talking, after talking to them, I still go on my knees and ask God for guidance before you know I, I, I took the necessary actions.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah that makes a lot of sense so you've yeah. got your business coaches you've got obviously your colleagues mm-hmm. and then you've almost got God and your scripture as yeah. almost like another mentor to kind of help just mm-hmm. light your path a bit more as well. Yes of course. Okay, fantastic, because I've heard a lot of like there's a lot of kind of division about whether faith and business can kind of go hand in hand. You know, some people think that faith gets in the way of business. Some people think that you can't Mm -hmm. run a business without faith. And it's kind of I'm finding from what you've said and from my own experience that it's Mm -hmm. a very personal thing. You know, if if you find that faith helps you, if you find that faith guides you and and gives you clarity and what you need, then it's important to have in Mm -hmm. business but equally, if you find that it distracts you or takes away from your business, then that is something you kind of need to look at in your own life. Mm
1: -hmm. True.
0: Okay, perfect. I agree
1: with that as well.
0: Thank Mm -hmm. you. Okay, next question then. So now I want to talk a bit about dating. So you're obviously an attractive, successful woman. Have you found that being successful, potentially more successful than most men makes dating more or less difficult for you personally?
1: Uh, Speaking from a personal point of view, it has made it a bit more difficult than when I was just a regular person. Because um, honestly, having to be a business person, like a high-end business person, it has really shaped the way I think the priorities I set, the kind of people I let into my space, because I've come to understand that we are energy beings. No matter what you believe in, you are an energy being. So whatever you energy you send out is what you 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 attract. So I try to protect my space by who I let in. Some people look at it like it's pride because you're not giving them, you know, the kind of attention or, you know, priority, prioritizing them the way they want it. While some think that, oh, it's because you're well-placed. So you're, you're kind of like looking down at the men or something, but not everybody have, uh, not everybody are matured enough to believe, to, to understand that as a woman, it's not every man that comes to you that you have to say yes to sometimes some can be friends, some can end up being business associates, some can just end up being whatever they want to be. So having to draw that line on this is what I need, this is what I want and I'm not bending, I'm not, I'm not going to, to, to take less of what I want has, been, has made it a bit more difficult because um, you now come across to people like you're not, uh, everybody in Nigeria, every man in Nigeria wants a submissive woman. They want a woman that cannot speak up for herself. Most of them want a woman who would dare not speak up for herself. So whatever the man says is the final, he's the head and that. So when you come into maybe a relationship or you're in a talking stage with a man that wants you to abandon everything, and give him all the attention. Like I have work to do, I have my business to run. I'm a mom. I have my daughter to take care of, you know, and then I have my friends to also give attention and my family as well. So your time should be your time. You shouldn't expect that I should take someone else's time to dedicate to you. So it's it's a bit hard having to make people understand that there is time for everything and priorities are different. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, but then there are also some really amazing guys who have also who are also well-read, well-traveled, you know, business persons or working who have probably mixed up with you know a few people and understood this kind of lifestyle. Uh-huh. Not everybody, because it's a developing country like we earlier mentioned. So it's 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 different for, to deal with someone who hasn't been there out there. You know, to experience how other people think and act, they're just you know secluded. They're just dealing with you know what they are they were born into and what they are used to, and you coming with you know that that um, another uh, lifestyle to them is it's a no no. Yeah. So it makes it a bit difficult to to date.
0: Mm. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I think I would say it's probably, you're less likely to find somebody who meets mm-hmm. those standards, those criteria in Nigeria. But th- something mm-hmm. like this is definitely yeah. still a big problem, even in my England, in, in a developed country, because mm-hmm. like you kind of mm-hmm. touched on, but running a business, you need a super specific mindset, you need a certain way of thinking of, yes. about things you know you you have yes. work and you have all these other responsibilities so you can't just give a partner all mm-hmm. of your attention all the time and of for course. most people who maybe aren't running a business who maybe aren't even working they are kind of mm-hmm. you know they don't have anything else to do so they're kind of forced do, or yes. kind of yeah they they just kind of mm-hmm. want this attention all the time so it's definitely exactly. something that I've had to deal with in past relationships and and when I've been dating mm-hmm. it's You know, you've got to try and find that balance of, well, I'm happy to be in a relationship, but you need Mm -hmm. to have those standards that you kind of touched on to kind of know when to say no. Of course. Mm -hmm.
1: Exactly.
0: Okay, fantastic. So you you obviously talked a bit about having these standards. So my question is, what do Mm -hmm. you exactly look for in a partner? And equally, what do you not look for in a partner? Who do you say no to?
1: Okay, I'll start with who I say no to. First of all, I do not like someone who is entitled. Like, it shouldn't be about you all the time. You should be able to understand who you're dealing with. First of all, understanding is key. If you do not understand who you're dealing with as a person first, it's going to be difficult for you to see life from their angle. It's, you're always going to be on the defensive Because everything they do is going to come to you as, oh, they're trying to do something to me. They're trying to be this. They're trying to be that. They're trying to show this. They're trying to show that. But if you're an understanding person, you would take the time to understand the person's perspective about life, about money, about religion, about everything. And then it will give you that peace on how to settle with this person. So I do not like, I do not want somebody who is inconsiderate who doesn't want to see things from another perspective who is not teachable and i do not also want somebody who is selfish because if you're selfish you it's always going to be about you it's never going to be about anybody it's always going to be oh me, me 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 i need this i need that i deserve this i deserve that life is not always going to be about you there are a lot of other things and people that you know life is about so that's what i don't want in a man but what i want is a considerate man someone who is peaceful someone who is ready to tell me when i'm wrong because we are humans we can't be perfect and i am a very teachable person like i want you to you know tell me when i'm wrong but in a loving way not You rubbing it on my face or sit me down, talk to me. This is what you did. This is how I think you should do it. If we need to go to therapy, if you think it's that bad and we need a therapist, we should go to therapy. You know, someone who is selfless to the core, because I'm a very selfless person. Once I'm in a relationship, I want to give my all when I can. But when I cannot, I need you to balance up for me. You know, so it's supposed to be 100-100. I don't believe in that 50-50 theory about relationships now. It's supposed to be 100-100, which means all of you and all of me. So we balance up when, you know, we are found wanting. Yeah. And I also need somebody. I also like a man who is in charge. Like, I have a grown-up daughter, and it, it's not, It's I, I don't need it. a man in our space that is not confident in himself who he is. I don't care about how much you have, but it is the confidence that you have that will make someone outside trust you with a responsibility that will make you a billionaire or a millionaire. Uh-huh. So it's not what you have in your bank account currently, but it's the attitude to, to attract what you actually want or who you actually want. And it's that same attitude that will make me and anyone who is coming with me as the baggage or as an addition, submit to you because they would see you as a leader. They'll see you as somebody we can trust. They'll see you as somebody that if his no is no, his yes is yes. Not one person, you're saying this today and you're saying this tomorrow, like you're You're not to be trusted. Mm-hmm. I don't want that in my space. Mm-hmm. I don't want that in my space. So yeah, outside the whole being good looking, dress well, talk well, you know, be able to express himself and all that that's just temporary but this are like, like the core qualities that I look out for when it comes to looking for a partner
0: mm. yeah that makes a lot of sense and I think a lot of women I would actually mm-hmm. argue most women regardless of whether they're running mm-hmm. a business or in a job or or even just whether they want to be more submissive or more dominant in the relationship I think everybody mm-hmm. in fact yeah. every, every person wants a confident partner um, somebody that's confident yeah. in themselves, confident in their decisions. And I think <laughs> that's a big, big problem yeah. that faces a lot of men, men mm-hmm. especially, but just people generally, is just that indecisiveness, the mm-hmm. kind of just floating yeah. through life, not knowing what they want, not having the confidence in themselves exactly. to choose a path and, and stick with it for a long period of time. Um, you said that sure. quality your ideal man would have is they're peaceful. What exactly did you mean by that?
1: Okay, you know, there are people who eat trouble Mm -hmm. for breakfast, Mm -hmm. lunch, and dinner. Like, for me, I would rather say I'm sorry if we had a conflict, just so, you know, you understand that you're more important to me than these issues we're having. Mm -hmm. But some men would prefer that every time there's a problem, it's the woman's place to beg, no, it's supposed to be a teamwork. If you if you're after peace as much as I'm after peace, if something happens and you know that okay, we've talked about this, we all we are good. I'm sorry this happened. I'm I'm going to work. I'm I'm ready to work on it, and this will never happen again. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody in their right senses would would still be angry or you know make a fuss out of anything. Or if you're not someone who is peaceful. When a woman starts her, you know, we have issues as women, either because of hormones or we just, sometimes we just like that attention. We just want to pull something up on you and have you say, I'm sorry. It's a woman's thing. So a peaceful man would understand that a woman is always right. She wants the, she wants, she's, 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 she's trying to cut it off so you can know that she's, she's present. All you need to do is just say you're sorry and everything is fine yeah. but some people don't see it that way they believe they're always right and which is most of, one of the problems families are facing these days I remember working as a part-time um, matchmaker and relationship coach about two years ago most of the things that happens it's always the women complaining he never says he's sorry he never apologizes I'm always the one apologizing and with time what you do over time you get tired of it it's supposed to there has to be a balance today you're you're taking the lead tomorrow she's taking the lead But one when one person is taking the lead all the time it looks like they are being the one sacrificing too much for that to work and you're nonchalant like if it works it works if it doesn't work it doesn't work nobody wants to be in that situation so i do not want to be in that situation
0: yeah i've been
1: there before always apologizing Always saying I'm sorry, always trying to fix things up, and it was really, really draining. So mm-hmm. I've scratched that out from my list of I don't want. So it's, it can't happen again.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely a good, good idea mm-hmm. for you on your behalf. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's definitely important to look for romantic relationships and friendships and business yeah. partners that aren't mm-hmm. afraid to admit when they're wrong because at the end of the day we are all human and everybody is going to be wrong at some point or another so i think that's definitely exactly. a very positive trait mm-hmm. to look for in a partner so thank you for clarifying that
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: okay so last question then what do you mm-hmm. think of all of the following list is more important Uh, Sorry, let me restart. What do you think is more important in terms of business relationships and content? Do you think that quality matters more or do you think that quantity matters more and why?
1: Uh, Definitely, if personally, I always choose quality Mm. over quantity. Mm -hmm. Because I can't imagine buying 10 pair of watches that will not last me for 10 months. Mm -hmm with $1,500 just because it's quantity and not going for a one wristwatch that would last me five, 10 years without having to even change anything or visit a watch store to do anything on it because it's just one and it costs the same as getting 10. I'd rather get 10 because if you want to calculate the time that you'll be taking to the watch store how much you're going to have to spend to change the battery, to get it fixed, to get it this, the time you're going to, you know, to spend to do all that, and um, I mean, you're going to end up spending more because you choose quali- quantity over quality. Yeah. So I'd rather just everyone chooses to have quality, whether it is in whether it is in services, whether it is in products, or in human beings as well quality should always supersede quantity because quantity comes with its own headaches, but quality would never disappoint. Mm-hmm. That's just my own view point of view.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: If you choose quality, you save time, you save money, you save energy, you save a lot of things, but if you choose quantity, then you lose because you have to do a lot to keep the balance
0: mm-hmm.
1: instead of, you know,
0: taking quality Mm. Mm, mm. yeah that makes a lot of sense and i definitely agree with you um to play devil's advocate Mm -hmm. so i've heard Mm -hmm. some like my business coaches in the past have said that you need to embrace quantity first in order to Mm -hmm. find what is actually quality to you if it's let's say a romantic relationship to know what you do and don't want you need to have that quantity initially to find what Mm -hmm. is the quality (laughs) Do you kind of agree with that or do you think that we can kind of stick to the quality from the Mm -hmm. beginning in in other ways?
1: I do not agree with having to have quantity to choose quality because that's where confusion comes in. Imagine that, okay, let's say, for instance, in a romantic relationship, you're talking to about five guys at the same time Mm -hmm. and you might not really have the time to study them one on one you know even when people say that oh people people are good at multitasking no when you're studying a human multitasking will make you confused you understand so you just have to choose look at this person that's why the talking stage is the stage where you should pay more attention to because that's where it will take you it will guide you to dating So at the talking stage, that's when you need to ask all the questions, make all the observations so that if it's not your person, you don't waste your time. Mm -hmm. This is you trying to manage time. 24 hours is not even enough for some of us. Mm -hmm. And I'm using like two, three hours, four hours, five hours, every day to talk to different kinds of people. So which means I'm all over the place. So it's better you stick to what you want. Mm -hmm. Like I used to tell people, we all have our expectations of the person we want and we all know the percentage at which we are willing to go with probably you might say okay if if she has 70% i can do make do with that and you know grow to learn the 30 remaining and another person might say no he has to have at least 95% so it's all about you so i tell people list out your writings i know the bible says um, write the vision, make it count. You want a tall man, put it there. You want a fine man, put it there. You want him dark, put it there. You want a walk, someone who walks up, put it there. You want someone who likes to dine out, put it there. So by the time you list everything you need, when someone comes, you have things to talk about for the next few days. You know, today you're talking about his personal life. Tomorrow you're talking about his spiritual life. You already have the things you want to, you know, you want to learn about this person so it helps you to make your decisions faster but if you're doing the whole oh let's go with the crowd let's see how it goes you'd end up choosing who you you're not even supposed to be with and that's what i think quality mm -mm, Mm -hmm. can't be you just can't play with quality you can't
0: absolutely so you obviously touched on about writing a list out of what you define as quality about what you do and don't want in a partner for example is this something that you've actually Mm -hmm. done then do you have a Mm -hmm. list somewhere of everything that you want in a partner
1: maybe not everything because i am also open to allowing some things but the most crucial things yes i have a list of them so if i'm talking with someone I throw in the questions one, you know, sparingly, and I get my facts that will decide that will help me decide if I want to continue or not. Like I remember talking to a man Um, and yeah, he met most of the, he had most of the qualities I wanted, but he wasn't a Christian. mm -hmm. He's in between, um, I don't go to church and whatever, you know, and that's not what I want. And I, asking if you had kids now are you saying your kids will be home on Sundays when other children are going to church or are you going to tell them at a tender age maybe two months three months you have the right to choose your God you understand so there has to be a structure if you are a if you're looking at being a successful person in whatever you want even as a parent as a business person as a, an employee however where you're looking at success. You need to have clear goals set out. You want to be a good parent. Okay, how can you be a good parent? I mean, what do you know? Mm -hmm. You know nothing. You need to be in spaces where people who know better than you, Mm -hmm. you know, can teach you, can teach your children. You know, you can't say you're going to leave your children to for someone else to decide. Or for them to grow up to decide who they want to serve. What if they wake up and they say they don't even want to know anything about any God? They don't choose to serve any God. You don't have anything against them. So, like I said, if I did not ask those questions, I would have looked at the good things he had and ignored the most crucial things, and then get into the marriage. And I'm like, where do I start from?
0: So. Yeah, absolutely. I think Mm -hmm. it's definitely important to have that initial stage to qualify somebody, whether it be romantic partners, business partners, friends, and make sure that they have what you're looking for. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Do you take this same kind Mm -hmm. of methodical approach then with parenting, with your business and with your friendships, friendships as well? Do you take the same kind of methodical approach? Exactly.
1: Yes, I do. For everything, every acquaintance, every friend, in fact, anything I expend my energy on, I pay particular attention to my choices. Because I grew up knowing, being a mom at a very young age, I grew up to understand that I am responsible for my actions, And that has guided me to making decisions, decision making. So whatever decision I make, I don't just wake up and make a decision spontaneously. I'm a spontaneous person, but that has to do with maybe my social life. I can wake up and say, okay, I want to go to a bar, bar, or no, I want to go to a a fine dining, or I just want to go to the pool. You know, I'm spontaneous when it comes to um, social activities, but when it comes to business, parenting, things that I know uh, would affect me one way or the other, I take out time to really sit down and think about it, think about it. And then when I come to a decision, I stick to it. And I get to tell myself, whatever comes out of this, I am going to bear it because I decided I, you know, I, this is what I wanted at some point. So if it doesn't work out, I still, you know, I'm very much, I'm very happy to embrace my mistakes and learn from it because I decided it. But if I were, if I didn't decide, then it would be, it would be, hold on. Yes. Yeah, so I got to understand earlier in life that I'm responsible for my actions, my decisions, for whatever. That's so why I don't take anything to heart. If it's business, I decide, and then I lose money. I'll just be like, "Well, that wasn't for me. You win some, you lose some." Mm-hmm. Same as relationship, and same as friendships and acquaintances. So yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Sounds sounds really good, and obviously a. I can see that it's going to bring you a lot of success in your life and one thing you kind of Mm -hmm. touched on then is kind of my last point I wanted to touch on is that you said that you were obviously a mother at a very young age so I know that Mm. a lot of people in that position they would kind of almost let their life fall apart because you know something so big and unexpected has happened so I'm kind of curious now how have you been able to successfully run a business and live a successful life Mm -hmm. while being a mother at such a young age, which obviously comes with its own set of challenges?
1: Yeah. Uh, Like I said, I've always been a very responsible person. Not responsible as fair, you know, when you talk about responsible, people think it's lifestyle, you don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't party. No. Responsible as fair, I am responsible for whatever happens to me and whatever I get to do. So when I got um, pregnant at an early age, everybody wanted me to opt an abortion, but I just couldn't find myself taking life from another, like depriving another <clears throat> sorry, of life. And I was barely 15 plus. So everyone was like, oh, nothing about being a mom. I'm like, yes, but I can learn. I have been taking care of my younger cousins and every other person. So I'm sure I'm going to learn. So I made the decision and it was hard because everyone turned away from me. Uh, but thank God for you know, my family. Some members of my family were very supportive. My grandmother was there. My Some of my aunts were there too. So they helped groom me and the child. I gave up a few years of education just to make sure that I grew my daughter up to, A stage where she would be okay if I left her to go to school. But I knew deep down what I wanted to be. I knew deep down I wanted to be a successful woman. I didn't want a mother, I didn't want a mother for my child that should walk in the streets tomorrow and someone would say, "Eh, look at her, her mom gave birth. That's why she's useless, because you know, so that guided me every time I wanted to make a decision, a life-changing decision. I always put my daughter, my daughter first, like if I'm doing this, how is it going to affect her positively? So it's it's always been, I need to get, okay, my daughter is having her education, I can as well get my education. So when she's talking, if she brings back homework to the house, or I'm going for a parent teachers um, meeting, I should be able to stand up and express myself. They should be able to ask who is your mother and she be proud to say, that's my mom. Yeah, so that also, helped me to grow little by little, little by little. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy I didn't give up. I know most people who have, which also made me start a single parenting um, foundation, uh, which we've been offering, you know, assistance to single parents, both young, old, divorced, widowed, you know, men and women as well. So we help them to, you know, people who are going through a whole lot, we try to be that shoulder for them to cry on. And it, because of all the experiences I had, I just felt like if, you know, there are people who would love to, you know, share from my experience. There are people who would, who are not as strong as I, I I was or I am. And definitely telling them my story and sharing one or two things I have been through and overcome would give them the, the strength to move on. So,
0: mm, yeah. yeah,
1: I'm hoping that, you know, in the coming days I'll do much more than I'm doing already.
0: Mm, mm, definitely. And that group yeah. sounds like a fantastic mm. idea. So well done to you for doing that and sharing your experiences. Right. Um. Yeah, that about wraps it up for all my questions. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about or ask yourself?
1: Um, I would want to ask you a question. Okay. If that's okay.
0: Yeah, that's fine So with me.
1: what prompted you into becoming a luxury consultant? And um, what's, what's your experience been like being that you're in another part of the world and I'm on this end of the world?
0: So I actually started out as a freelance copywriter. That was a few years ago now. And then moved into the marketing okay. industry as a whole uh, when I actually started my business, mm-hmm. Regal Marketing and then after a while when I was struggling to get sales I was struggling to kind of find something that made me unique within the industry I kind of realized that the marketing industry Mm -hmm. as a whole is very oversaturated at least where I'm from it's very very oversaturated because you have freelancers you have countless business gurus and business coaches trying to do like teach the same things do the same things so I realized Mm -hmm. that I needed to find a niche and I needed to find a niche that I I I ideally bought from um i ideally interacted with Excuse me. so yeah i needed to find a industry that i ideally yeah. that i bought from frequently so that i understood that industry um and that was when i kind of started doing my research and came across the luxury industry as a whole and i buy a lot of luxury products and um, i pay for a lot mm-hmm. of luxury services so it's an industry yeah. that i already understood I understood what makes people buy from it, because obviously I buy from it, Mm -hmm. and I understood how the industry works, at least in the areas that I bought from. So that's kind of how I got into the luxury industry uh, overall. But then kind of going into my experience with the luxury industry, I think, well, first of all, from a marketing perspective, it was a complete shift to what I'm used to, because initially... You have so many marketing strategies that I'm sure you know about that work for a standard product or business. But then when you go into the luxury industry, it's kind of flipped on its head. It's completely reversed. Um, So one example being with a standard product, when you see an increase in demand, you want to therefore increase your supply. Whereas with a luxury product, you don't want to do that. You want to focus on increasing your prices, increasing your quality, et cetera. so it's kind of I had to make that mindset shift about what the end goal of my marketing is and I had to make that shift in terms of understanding and getting the skills that I needed to actually market a luxury product successfully so in terms Mm of you know I assume you're kind of asking about customers whether they would or wouldn't buy a luxury product and why they may or may not and I I encounter a lot of similar kind of uh excuses as to why they may may or may not want to buy luxury. You know, I don't have the money. Um yeah. I don't see why mm-hmm. I should pay more for this product or service when I can get it for cheaper elsewhere. Oh, yes, yes And I've kind of just found that mm-hmm. even in the face of those kind of you know the arguments that a customer may make, you just need to argue different, make basically you need to make a different case for your product or service. So you don't need to argue that we have the best prices on the market. You don't need to argue that it's the cheapest, the most affordable, the most accessible. Instead, Mm -hmm. you really drive home that quality, the heritage of the product or service, all the, the, I mean, the experience overall of that product or service plays a massive role. And Mm -hmm. one other thing that I've kind of noticed, because obviously I work with luxury brand owners as well as their customers, I've kind of noticed that many of these luxury brand owners kind of get caught up on the fact that they don't have as many customers, even if they're making more money. So I've had a few clients where they're making Mm -hmm. two, three times what they were before working with me, but because they have less customers, they, for for whatever reason, they've got it into the head that that's a problem. Whereas the reality of it is, Mm -hmm. if you have less customers paying you more than you would if you had more customers. You've got more free time Mm -hmm. to spend doing whatever else you want, whether it's on the business, with your family, doing your hobbies. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, you're making more money. So I've almost had a challenge of, first of all, trying to convince my clients' customers to buy from them. And secondly, trying to convince my clients that the most important metric for a luxury brand like theirs isn't the amount of people, number of people enjoying your Mm -hmm. product or even working with you. It's actually yeah. the root of the, the, you know, the kind of the base metrics that really matter. You know, how much money are you making okay. in terms of revenue and profit? How much um, growth are mm-hmm. you seeing within your business? These are the kind of metrics that really matter. So I've kind of been challenged on mm-hmm. two fronts, one from the customers that I'm having to sell to and one from the actual clients that I'm working with within their own business. Okay.
1: Awesome. Awesome, that's very encouraging. Mm-hmm. At least there's someone who is doing um, who's there for us when we need somebody. Because sometimes it can be very difficult mm-hmm. having to convince clients, having to you know market to someone who asks the same question, like why should I buy, pay more when I can pay less? Mm-hmm. You know, so but then since it's a passion and it's also something we want to
0: do we can't give up yeah Mm. Yeah, absolutely and i think one of the biggest issues i see within a luxury brand is the mindset of the owner basically that kind of determines the success or the failure of the business and kind of with you for example you have a very strong mindset that's going to lead to Mm. a lot of success from my experience Um, And Mm. it's almost one example of that is Mm. when a customer asks or objects and says, well, why should I pay that much? The successful brand owner looks at that and think, oh, that means they don't want to buy from me. They instead look at that and say, well, they're basically Mm. offering up a test. Them saying, why should I buy from you is a test in your confidence in your own product or service. Yes. And if you can then come back to that question yes. with an immediate mm-hmm. answer, be confident in your price, be confident in the reasons why you've justified that price, then you've kind of yep. passed that okay. test and you've yeah. got over that hurdle. Um, whereas most business owners, they just sort of see that as a, well, I don't want to buy your product. And then they kind of collapse from the inside out and then obviously so, don't make the sale. True. So that's kind of the big thing mm-hmm. is with a luxury brand, especially you need to have your mindset down so that you can appear confident and know the true value of your product or service before you try and convince anybody else of that value. That's
1: true. That's true. The value starts with
0: you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Awesome.
0: Is there anything else you wanted to ask before we head off?
1: <laughs> no, that's fine.
0: Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you for the question. That's that a that'll from me. Fantastic. That was a great question. And yeah, thank you for answering (laughs) my questions. It's been absolutely fantastic talking to you, Valerie. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Same here. Thank you so much, Jordan.
0: No problem. And thank you, everybody, for listening. If you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure you leave a like on this video. And of course, leave any extra questions you have for me or Valerie in the comments below. Thanks, guys. Sure.
1: Thank you.